Thank you for listening to an audio resource from Stanwich Church, located in Greenwich and Stamford, Connecticut. The vision of Stanwich Church is to know Christ and make him known. The gospel lesson for today is from Matthew chapter 26, verses 47 through 56. This can be found on page 989, not 1086 as in the bulletin, but page 989 of your pew Bible. When Jesus rises from prayer in Gethsemane, Judas, one of the disciples, appears and greets him with a kiss of betrayal before the temple police swiftly seize him. A reading from Matthew chapter 26, beginning with the 47th verse. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father? And he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels. But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled? That it must be so. At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out as against a robber? with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all of the disciples left him and fled May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's a verse from John 1. If you know it, will you say it with me as I repeat it? The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We normally say that line and repeat it around two months from now on Christmas Eve. It's something that we say every year here at Stanwich Church as we announce the birth of Jesus through Christmas. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not and will not ever overcome him. So why am I saying it today, two months early? Well, this month, we've seen the reality of darkness, of evil, 
When innocent lives are crushed anywhere in the world, that's an example not just of sin, but of evil. And in our scripture reading today, we see Jesus doing something about it and navigating the darkness and, in fact, shining in the darkness. So I don't know if you're anything like me, but this month, as you've been seeing these examples of evil around the world, if you're like me, your, your heart is not necessarily in a good place about it all. Anyone? I see a couple of heads nodding. And so today, what I want us to do is run to the Word. Run to Jesus. Run to this better narrative that we have in Scripture. Better than the narrative, at least, that's going on in my heart. This is the best narrative we have. Jesus is the best example we have. He is the light that shines brightly, even when darkness and evil seem to be having their day. We're in the middle now of a sermon series called Giving It All. And as God would have it, the timing of this text where Jesus encounters real darkness and real evil, it just happens to be lined up at a time when I know it's on so many of our minds. So let's run to the word together to look to Jesus, the light of the world. John, or, uh, Matthew chapter 26, beginning with verse 47. While Jesus was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him... A great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Here's an angry mob coming after Jesus in the dark of night. Darkness is coming after Jesus. We know that the very next day, Jesus is going to experience violence in the hands of the Romans. They're going to come after him with swords and whips and ultimately crucifixion. But this group that's meeting him in this dark night is not the Roman soldiers, but rather the religious leaders. Even the religious leaders have been upset so much by Jesus. He seems to be a threat to their power. So they've come after him with swords and clubs in their hands. Can you imagine this? Jesus, who only spoke of love and peace and healing and reconciliation, is now being met with swords and clubs. Verse 48, now the betrayer, that's Judas, had given them a sign. Judas is on the other side now. He's on the side of the adversaries of Jesus. Given them a sign saying, the one I kiss is the man, seize him. What's going on here? Well, you have to remember in Jesus' time, his reputation had gone far and wide. He was getting relatively famous, but still not many people knew what he looked like. It's not like his picture had been shown on the evening news or on social media. People literally didn't know what he looked like. So Judas had to identify him. And he identifies him with a kiss, a kiss in Jesus' time. It would be a show of honor and esteem to the person that you're kissing. It was probably a kiss on the forehead, possibly the forehead and the cheeks, which makes it particularly painful probably for Jesus. Judas, who had received so much blessing from the ministry of Jesus, now shows him what would normally be a sign of reverence and honor, but it's actually a signal to this mob to know who to seize. Verse 49, I believe. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. 
that phrase, laid hands on Jesus. You know, when I use that phrase as a pastor, it usually means I'm going to pray for you. Let me lay hands on you, brother. That's not what it means here in the Greek. They laid hands on him. They're probably starting to beat him up. This makes me want to weep when I think about our Lord, the Prince of Peace, the light shining in the darkness. He's being met already with violence. They laid hands on him. Now, it tells us a little bit more in the Gospel of Luke. There's, there's more color in the Gospel of Luke's version of this same story. I'm not sure why Matthew didn't um, mention some of these details. So I'm going to borrow from Luke a little bit. Jesus says something very interesting right here in this moment when they're laying hands on him, when, when he's being met with violence. Listen to what he says in Luke 22, verse 53. Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay hand on me. But this is your hour, he says. When darkness reigns. Isn't that a fascinating phrase from Jesus? Do what you're going to do. This is your hour when darkness reigns. Jesus is aware of the darkness that's coming against him. And he gives recognition of it. I can learn a lot from this phrase. This is your hour, he says. That's a clue for us. Jesus is aware of what's happening. But he knows also that it's limited in scope. It's an hour when darkness reigns. It's a moment. It's a season. He knows that there's going to be an end to the darkness, an end to the evil. He's sovereign above it all. We sang it just a few moments ago. You reign above it all. Somehow Jesus is sovereign. He's more powerful even than the kingdom of darkness coming against him. He says when darkness reigns, he's allowing for some reason in his sovereign plan, which he's going to signal to in a moment, he's allowing in his sovereign plan evil itself to come against him. Now, in this moment, when we realize that darkness comes, it's drawn to the light like flies to a light bulb in a summer evening. Evil is drawn towards someone innocent and pure and holy and light shining like Jesus. When we realize that, when we see evil coming against good, there's something in us that wants to respond And Peter, as it turns out, shows us exactly what that looks like. In Matthew, it doesn't name him as Peter, but we know it's Peter from the other Gospels, and of course it's Peter because he's so enthusiastic. In verse 51, it says this, Behold, one of those, Peter, who were with Jesus, stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Yes, go Peter! Protect Jesus. Rise up against the darkness. Now, it says he drew his sword. There's been some question about this over the centuries. Were the disciples armed? Did they walk around with swords? Well, sort of. We realize that they weren't walking around with the types of swords that the Roman soldiers had. You can picture like those giant, you know, all the armor and and swords from the Roman soldiers. Probably 9 to 12 inches long. Think of it more as like a leatherman. Uh, like a tool. No, you guys are from Connecticut. You don't know what a Leatherman is. In, <laughs> in places like the Midwest, where I'm from, men carry these tools, you know? To, um, uh, it doesn't work with my loafers here in Greenwich. But uh, Jesus' disciples probably had one of these tools, 9 to 12 inches long. And, you know, if they caught a fish, they could clean the fish. Or, um, you know, if they got an Amazon package, they could open it. it <laughs> tool. That's probably why only the ear is damaged in Peter's enthusiasm. It's probably all the more uh, impact he could have on this poor uh, servant. But this is indicative, isn't it, of what we want 
in the human heart. If I'm being honest, it's what I want. When I see darkness, especially darkness coming against the light, especially when I see terror coming against innocence, I want vengeance. I want more than this ear to come off, frankly. But what Jesus is about to caution us about is entering into this cycle of revenge. He's about to offer a new way. He's about to offer some purpose to caution our hearts against entering into a cycle of revenge. Look with me at at what he does. We have to borrow from Luke again. Because in Luke, he says a, a, a sentence that's not mentioned in the Matthew one. In Luke 22, verse 51, Jesus said, No more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. No more. What's he saying here? No more of this. I don't believe that Jesus is calling for a total and absolute pacifism. We have to read scripture with scripture. There's other places in the Bible where God does call up the military to enact justice when there's unjust nations acting in warlike ways. So I don't think Jesus is saying here, never use force when there's evil in the world. But I believe he's getting at something that happens in our hearts. This cycle of recycled revenge. He's saying, no more of that. What good would it do us, Christians, to just enter into that cycle of revenge like everyone else in this world? What good would we be to the world? No, Jesus is offering something else. In the middle of this cycle of revenge, Jesus enters in. And he heals. He puts his hand on the man's ear and heals. The very group of people who are coming against him. Why would he do that? Why would he bring healing in this hour of darkness when darkness is reigning? Well, he's trying to break the cycle of revenge. Verse 53 Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? You see what Jesus is saying here? He's saying, look, I could enter into this cycle too if you want me to. It won't go well for you. I could call up 12 legions of angels. You guys think your swords and clubs are impressive? Wait till you meet an angel army. But he holds them at bay. He does not call the angels into battle in this moment. Instead of the cycle of revenge continuing, he heals in the middle of the darkness. The light shines in the darkness. And then in verse 54, he gives us an indication of why exactly he's allowing, in his sovereignty, this moment for evil, this moment of darkness. But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? The scriptures. Throughout the New Testament, scriptures are are mentioned. Old Testament scriptures are mentioned. Psalms is the number one scripture, uh, number one book in the Old Testament that's mentioned. But then there's Isaiah. And Isaiah gives us a lot of insight into the words and the work of Jesus. Perhaps when Jesus said, no, no. Don't um, continue the cycle of revenge in this moment so that the scriptures may be fulfilled. Perhaps he's referring to Isaiah 53, one of these Old Testament scriptures. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 53, verse 5. This is a prophecy about Jesus. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us 
peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. See, what would happen to Jesus the very next day is he would allow this reign of darkness, this hour of darkness, this violence, this terror to come upon him on the cross. And all the terror of all the sins of the whole world would be absorbed onto Jesus' body. And thereby he was ending the cycle of revenge because he was taking the consequences of all of our revenge against each other upon himself where it stops. It stopped. And just like that moment when he heals the man's ear in the middle of this confrontation, when he died on the cross, receiving the violence upon his body, he was healing not just one man's ear. He was healing the world. He was reconciling us all back to the Father. In the middle of the darkness, the light shined. In the middle of the cycle of revenge, Jesus stopped it and brought healing into the darkness. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 55, at that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. When Jesus sat in the temple teaching, we know his teachings. Bless those who persecute you. Turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. And he announced, he proclaimed the kingdom of God entering into this world, a different kind of kingdom than all of the kingdoms of this world that really rely on this cycle of revenge. He was the prince of peace. He was the light of the world. He's the good shepherd. He's the great physician. And that's what he was teaching in the temple course. But then they realized, wait a minute, people are listening to this. People are starting to follow him. And if he's right about all these things, then it's a threat to our systems of power. And darkness is attracted to the light. And so they wanted to snuff him out. Now they're coming after him because people are believing his teachings. Verse 56, but all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Okay, so the violence that Jesus endured had a purpose. The hour of darkness was allowed under his sovereign hand so that he could go to the cross and deal with the sins of the world. That's Good, and that's how he endured it. But is the Bible really saying that's what we have to do in the face of evil as well? There's a bit of a mystery here because when Jesus said the hour, this is your hour, the reign of darkness, then he went to the cross and he took the sins of the world into the pit of hell where they belong. But then on the third day, he rose again and he conquered both sin and death in his resurrection. And so we might have thought, yay, the hour of darkness is done. And there's a mystery now. He's already come, but there's not yet a fulfillment of everything he promised and was talking about here. We're living in the already, between the already and the not yet. So how do we deal with? How do we grapple with? How do we navigate the darkness that's still here? You know, I believe that the early Christians living in places like Rome, where they experienced opposition just like Jesus did. I believe they had that same question on their minds. How do we navigate the darkness? And much of the New Testament grapples with this. 
And we have insight from the New Testament in how we too can navigate through the darkness, how we can be lights shining in the darkness, how we can understand it a little bit. For example, in Romans 8, verse 18, the Apostle Paul gives us this promise. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And he gives us this metaphor, which is a a real help to me in moments of history like the one we're in right now. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. You see the image that he's given us here? A woman in pain. If we picture her, if we picture a woman in pain writhing around and sweating and crying out, if we don't know that that woman is in labor, we might look at her, we might look at the situation, we might say, that's pretty hopeless. But if we know that she's in labor, then we say, oh, wait a minute, all of that pain is temporary. And what comes after the pain is new life. This has been helpful for me as I look around at the the tremors of this world in this moment of history. I look at it and I say, ah, Labor pains. This means that new life is coming soon. Lord Jesus, come soon. Lord Jesus, come back. The labor pains are severe. I realize this happened at the first service too. I realize at this moment in the, in the uh, sermon, I'm kind of reading the room and, and it's kind of hard to hear this honestly. It's like, okay, labor pains, that's, That's a metaphor, but it doesn't make it go away. It doesn't make the darkness go away. And I'm remembering, actually, if you're you're feeling kind of like, I don't know, this doesn't really help. If you're thinking that, and you may be, uh, I'm remembering when when my wife Nancy was in labor. It didn't really help for me to say to her, don't worry, darling. The pain will be over soon, and we'll have a baby. And I, I do believe I heard the phrase, shut up, <laughs> more than once. So I don't know. I kind of feel that too. Sometimes it's like, okay, we, we've given, been given these insights from the New Testament. Darkness is real. Evil is real. But it's like labor pains, and it means new life is coming soon. It helps, but it's still hard. It's still confusing. It's still disorienting. But we need this narrative. We need the light shining in the darkness. We need hope. Otherwise, we're just like everybody else in this world. At least I know that I would be too because of the revenge, the vengeance that I feel rising up in my own heart when I see innocent lives being crushed. But what good would we be, dear Christians, if we operated just like everybody else? You know what title we're given in the book of Corinthians? Ambassadors of reconciliation. Ambassadors of reconciliation. That's our role in the war, so to speak. That's how we shine light in the darkness. We pick up the ear and we heal it. We bring blessing and love and reconciliation. Otherwise, we're just like everyone else and the war continues. Uh, After the... uh, terror attack in, in Israel a couple of weeks ago. There was a gathering at Town Hall here in, in Greenwich. And um, Pastor David and I were there along with hundreds of our Jewish neighbors here in, in town. 
And it was a really meaningful time just to kind of be together. And one of the rabbis who spoke offered a, a very helpful illustration, which I'm going to share with us as we, as we conclude here this morning. Uh, he said, we have been called by God in Genesis chapter 1 to be cultivators, to be stewards of a garden. And that garden is this world. And that role that we play as cultivators of the garden hasn't changed. We're still to cultivate and steward the garden to bear fruit. And he said, you know, sometimes you got to pull out the weeds. You got to deal when there's evil, you got to deal with it. But we need to continue bearing fruit, we need to continue cultivating the garden. And I would say this to those of us who follow Christ. Our role as ambassadors of reconciliation, our role as carriers of the light in the darkness has not changed. Though we feel the cycle of revengeance rising up in our hearts and in our minds, we are still followers of Christ. And the promise is still true. But the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Amen. To learn more about the mission and vision of Stanwich Church and how you can get involved, please visit stanwichchurch.org.